Hi friends. Uh, the great thing about when uh, Rebecca gives announcements is uh, I, I don't have to give a message after that. Uh, she's already given it. So I'm just going to heat up some water and make a cup of coffee like you do. How's everyone doing? Uh, well, I believe in Jesus, and he multiplied loaves and fishes, so I think he can do it with coffee. Uh, oh, there's a big pot in the back. <laughs> Boom. We are working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, we've been exploring this ancient book written about 2,500 years ago. Uh, by a guy called the teacher. Traditionally, uh, people believe it's Solomon. Uh, other belie people believe it's someone else. Regardless, it's this, this teacher, this leader of an assembly. And over and over and over again, he's saying, meaningless, meaningless. Life is meaningless. Uh, and then he has like these windows of enlightenment, are what I call them, where he will say some really profound things. And last week we looked at Ecclesiastes 3, which is the most well-known section of Ecclesiastes, and Tom Holmes sang turn, turn, turn for us, uh, straight out of Ecclesiastes 3. And um, we, we learned that uh, there's a time for this, a time for that, a time for everything under the sun. And that time is moving forward, and we live within time, and time's always happening to us, uh, and that there are often things that happen in time that are beyond our control, and we get to choose how we're going to respond to those things. And, and after the teacher says there's a time for this, there's a time for that, uh, he then says, God has placed eternity in our hearts. God has made everything beautiful in its time, and God has placed eternity in our hearts. And so there, there's this reality that even though we live within time, there is something within us that is timeless. And we have the opportunity to tap into that, that thing that is timeless, that eternity, God's presence within us, and live from that place within time. Uh, there's another theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that keeps coming up over and over again, and it was in Ecclesiastes 2 and in Ecclesiastes 3, and we didn't touch on this theme, and it comes after that too. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. If I can have the next slide, the teacher says in Ecclesiastes 2, a person can do nothing better than eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him... Who can eat or find enjoyment? So, eat, drink, find satisfaction. Uh, it's very important uh, to uh, get the right kind of beans. It's very important to uh, have your grinder set at the right uh, spot to grind the beans perfectly. Um, because you, you don't want to mess this up. You're, you're uh, talking about something really special here called coffee, which is a divine gift from God. Um, who loves coffee? Yeah. Uh, next slide. 
I saw there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? And then again in Ecclesiastes 5, the teacher says, this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. And so the teacher has these windows of enlightenment. Now, the first pour is really important because uh, you you only put so much in and it's called the bloom. Uh, And so if you were up here, you would see this beautiful bloom emerging uh, right now. It's just fantastic. Uh, Next slide, Ecclesiastes 8. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life God has given them under the sun. And then again in Ecclesiastes 9, the teacher says... Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. So over and over again, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher has these windows of enlightenment. Like, listen, I I have experienced life to be meaningless. I have experienced life to be vapor. I've experienced life to be absurd. I've poured my life into all these things, pursuing wisdom, pursuing possessions, pursuing money, pursuing a bigger kingdom, if you will, and... uh, It just has left me feeling empty. But I recognize that if I pursue things... Now, the second pour, you you do a little more. Uh, You just go almost about three-quarters of the way up. Oh, that's looking good. He says, uh, I recognize that all these things pursued for them in their own sake is meaningless. That there's something deeper. And he recognizes, oh, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And if we're living from that place, the eternity that God has placed within us, the divine presence God has put within us, then there is a way of enjoying life. Enjoying every moment as sacred. Recognizing everything as a gift from the hand of God. Um, so every morning I, I do this. This is kind of like a, a thing I love to do every morning. And it's like a, a sacred moment I have with God. Sometimes I call it a cup of coffee with Jesus. I just make my coffee and then sit and be with God as I drink this gift from the hand of God. How, how many of you have something like that, a routine or something you do every morning? Just shout it out. What do you do? Coffee? Oh, all right. Ooh. I like that. I might take on that routine. What else? Hug the cat. I... Uh, so I was teaching at the Quest this morning before I came here and someone shouted out, uh, while the dog is outside doing her business, I'm having my daily devotions with God. It's like the dog's being the dog and you're being you, being present 
with God. Uh, what else? Anything else? Pray and read the Bible. Thank you, God. Yeah. Record. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, a friend of mine told a story about talking on the phone with his grandfather, and his grandfather and grandmother are aging, and uh, you're not aging, Jennifer. You're very young. Uh, but the grandfather and grandmother were just saying, you know, we, just, we were out in the garden working, and we just gave thanks to God. Because we're recognizing at our age, everything, we can't take anything for granted. And I was like, well, isn't that true for all of us? Like, thank, yeah, wake up in the middle of the night, thank you, God. And I love you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, every moment is an opportunity to experience the sacred, to experience the presence of God. Uh, these passages that I just read in Ecclesiastes, uh, many scholars refer to them as the carpe diem passages of Ecclesiastes, uh, that the, the author is returning to this idea of, of seize the day, like recognize every moment as gift. And I think it's more, next slide, um, it's less go, 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 make it happen, get out there, and more breathe. Open your hands. Pay attention to what God is giving. Receive God's good gifts with joy and humility and respond with gratitude. Uh, what are you grateful for right now? Uh, we all can just recognize things we're grateful for right now, right? Uh, when we live in this way, with this attitude of, of being grateful, it begins to change everything. When we wake up and say thank you, when we go through our day, every step a gift, every breath a gift, when we recognize God's presence with us in all of it, uh, when we think about the question, what would you do today if you knew at the end of the day you were going to die? Uh, I want to live in such a way that I would still get up and make my cup of coffee. That I would still enjoy life with my wife and my children. That I would still enjoy life with others. Uh, Martin Luther was once asked, if you knew the world was going to end, what would you do? And he had plans to go plant an apple tree. And so this is what he said. Next slide. Uh, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. Uh, just that, like, I'm going to do what I planned to do today already. There, there's no like looming bucket list of I got to do this, I got to do this. If, I, if I'm going to die at the end of the day, I have to do the. No, it's, uh, I am living my life in communion with God, and I'm, I'm going to continue to commune with God today as I do the things I already planned to do today. I'm going to go to work. and I'm going to enjoy the work of my hands. I, I'm going to share life with my family and friends. I'm going to enjoy that cup of coffee. Next slide. What does it look like to live life in such a way that we engage the divine in the daily? To live in such a way that whatever we have planned for the day is exactly how we would live our last day. Because each day and each moment are a gift from God. Uh, I want to live into that way of being. There, uh, 
was this monk, Brother Lawrence. You may be familiar with him. He wrote a book called Practicing the Presence. And he was uh, basically kitchen staff in the monastery. And so he was responsible to cook for fellow monks. He was responsible to wash the pots and pans and the dishes. And uh, he hated it. He just couldn't stand the fact, this, this is my lot in life. When we hear the teacher say, accept your lot in life that, uh, and your toil, like this toil isn't, isn't meant to be this horrible thing. Like in the beginning, we're told in the creation narrative that God rested from all of his work of creating. God is one who works and God created us to work and to enjoy the work of our hands. And Brother Lawrence, God gave Brother Lawrence like this grace gift and woke him up to realize every moment is gift. God is with me in the making of the food. God is with me as I wash the dishes. God is present and with me each moment of the day. And uh, he said this, one of his prayers, he, he said, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Uh, he just, he came to this point in his life where he recognized it's all gift. And, and this is what I've been tr entrusted with, kitchen duty. And I will live my life recognizing God's presence in all of it. Uh, next slide. So to taste the goodness of the ordinary life, we must embrace the goodness of God the goodness of all creation, and all as gift from God, and to be grateful. I want to read you uh, something from Barbara Brown Taylor. She writes this book called An Altar in the World. And uh, in the beginning of the book, she's talking about Jacob. And Jacob is on the run for his life. He has lied. He has deceived. Uh, his brother wants to kill him. And so Jacob is on the run. And, and uh, Late at night, Jacob lays down, he uses a rock for a pillow, he falls asleep, and uh, God meets him in that place. And, and God gives him a vision of a ladder to heaven and angels ascending and descending, recognizing there, there's no disconnection from heaven and earth. It's connected. And God's presence is everywhere. And she says this, human beings may separate things into as many piles as we wish, separating spirit from flesh, sacred from secular, church from world, but we should not be surprised when God does not recognize the distinctions we make between the two. And then she says this, I just love this line. Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. Uh, and she, she uh, talks about this because when Jacob woke up, he set up an altar in that place. And he said, surely God was in this place. And I didn't know it. Uh, what is it like for us to recognize that, uh, yes, God is in this place. We're in a church service, so we, ex we just come here to be in community and to worship God together. So we think about a church service as a place where God meets with God's people. But when we walk out those doors, God is there. When we get in our cars and drive away, God is there. When we go home, God is there. When we go to school, God is there. When we go to work, God is there. When we go to the supermarket, God is there. 
wherever we find ourselves, surely God is in this place. Surely God is in this place. She goes on to say, Jacob's nowhere, about which he knew nothing, turned out to be the house of God. Even though his family had imploded, even though he had made his brother angry enough to kill him, even though he was a scoundrel from the word go, God decided to visit Jacob right where he was. Though Jacob had not been right about anything so far and never would be, God gave Jacob vision so Jacob could see the angels going up and down from earth to heaven, going about their business in the one and only world there is. Uh, Surely... God is in this place. So, this thought, next slide. Moment by moment, we are invited to seek to live in the reality of God's presence. We are invited to see each moment as the means by which God pursues us among the pots and pans, the kids' schedules, our relationships with our partners, our kids, our friends, our coworkers. God is present in all of it, and we are invited to wake up to God's presence. Uh, What does it look like for us to recognize God's presence in each moment? I love Rebecca sharing about her experience with centering prayer. So I I suppose maybe put it differently, what was the word return? Yeah, so what does it look like throughout the day to be prompted to say return, return? Uh, to return to recognizing God's presence right here with us right now. It's looking pretty good, huh? Should probably... uh... Mm Mm-hmm. Next moment. Uh, Next. (laughs) Next moment, next slide. Uh, Each moment contains a sanctuary for worship. Uh, Shall we just have a moment? Oh, yeah. Come on. God is good. <laughs> Woo! This is gift right here, friends. This is gift. What does it look like for us to see God's gifts each moment of each day? Uh, next slide. Each moment offers a space to commune with God. I'm not going to lie, I like really good beverages, so good coffee, good glass of wine, a good beer, uh, good water. Uh, Isn't that gift when so many millions of people across the world have dirty water or, or walk for miles to get their water? We have a tap that water flows out of. Good drinking water, gift sheer gift. Um, There's a fellow named George Hendry who makes wine. Next slide. There's a picture I took of George, and next slide's a little closer up. George is, uh, I think, 73 years old, and his father was a professor at UC Berkeley, and When George was two and George's brother, I think, was four, his parents decided to buy a ranch in Napa. So his father would commute 
to Berkeley to teach, and they had this ranch in Napa. Uh, two years later, uh, George's dad died suddenly of a heart attack. So George is four, his brother's six, and mom is left alone with these two boys on this large ranch in Napa. Uh, now, at this time in Napa, there, long before Prohibition, tons of vineyards in Napa. Then Prohibition hits, and tons of vines are ripped out and replaced with fig trees and fruit trees and other types of farming. And um, so after Prohibition, it took a long time for Napa to return uh, to the number of vineyards that were once there. And so the, the ranch that George and his brother and his mom lived on was mostly fruit trees and fig trees and some uh, nuts and uh, some vineyards, but not a lot. Uh, and his mom made it work. People tried to convince her to sell the ranch. People said, you get out of this. Uh, and she worked that ranch and she farmed and she raised her boys to learn to work the ranch and to farm. And uh, George went on to go to UC Berkeley, got his bachelor's, went to the Navy for two years, then came back and got his master's degree. And then he returned to the ranch and he decided to turn the whole thing into a vineyard, back into a vineyard the way it was long before prohibition. And uh, he started selling all the grapes to Robert Mondavi. Yeah, Mondavi that guy, uh, and for years and years sold all the grapes. And his background uh, was in, in science and in engineering. And um, so he started working with the vines and started just doing small batches himself and making wine. And then slowly he began keeping more and more of the grapes and, and making more and more wine. And in 2000, built a, a winery. Um, and now keeps most all the grapes. And he puts on, every morning, he puts on a three-hour seminar that only eight people at a time are allowed to come to. And he talks about the wine process. And you can ask him any question you want, and he may or may not have an answer. He's, he's witty and funny and kind of snarky. Uh, and, but the way he talks about wine and the way he talks about, uh, because he has a background in science and 